Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Father Nathan. And um, yeah, right now, Father John is sitting in a classroom with uh, 12 women uh, in Siena. So we offer our prayers for him as he begins his Italian studies. Um, here with me is uh, Father Michael O'Loughlin, who we introduced on the last podcast, but beginning his uh, reign of terror on the podcast, um, he's starting today, so his silky smooth voice will soon soothe your drives or your clerical job. So, Michael, welcome. Greetings. Father Michael, sorry. Yeah, that's your line, isn't it? Kind of. Actually, I need to train you because normally I'm like, you know... Robin and he's Batman, so he does the intro, and then I just kind of do the sidekick stuff. But right now I'm kind of front runner. So no, you got to do it. We'll see how it goes. So right now we're uh, we're buzzing on coffee because uh, we're doing an early morning podcast. Father Michael and I are still trying to figure out schedules and when we can do it. But uh, Tuesday morning, um, in the fourteenth week of ordinary time, is the time of his ascent. So or the uh, sixth week after Pentecost. Ah, yes. Byzantine calendar. That's right. We do need to let people know that, uh, as we said before, the we are now breathing with both lungs. So, um, Father Michael, do you want to tell them a little bit about um, kind of what your what your shtick is? Sure. Uh, I got ordained 10 years ago for the Byzantine Catholic Eparchy of Phoenix mm-hmm. and uh, sent to Denver. Right away, I've been here 10 years now in Denver, Colorado, serving, and uh, I'm bi-ritual. So I celebrate Roman Mass pretty much once a week now, and then uh, Byzantine, all the rest. So I live in both worlds and love in both worlds. Yeah, the other day we were praying the breviary, and in the breviary it kind of mentions, like, we pray for Francis, our Pope, and blank, our Bishop. So I was wondering, like, why didn't you pray for... You know, I said Samuel, yeah. He said Samuel, which who is the Archbishop of Denver, and, and technically, like, you know, our, you know, ordinary, but when you're praying... The Roman breviary, do you also mention your own bishop? Or No. Oh. Although, if I thought about it, I would have, because okay. that would have been cool. But you generally, if you're praying, when in Rome type thing. When in Rome. I'm going to pray for the Roman bishop, just because that's what I'm used to doing when I pray Roman Mass. And sure. I'll throw Gerald in there, too. If you hear Gerald, that's my bishop. Gerald. Shout out to Gerald Dino. Bishop Gerald Dino. Epoch Gerald Dino. My hero. The God-loving Bishop Gerald. That's right. That's right. So, if you haven't had a chance, um, no matter where you are um, in kind of America, my guess is somewhere in your state, maybe, there's a Byzantine church. Maybes, yeah. Maybe. If you're but, in Wyoming, Utah, Montana, good luck. Okay. But almost Sorry. everywhere else, yeah. All right. So, then you can just go. I mean, um, since they are since they are a church that is in communion with... Rome? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be offensive. Nope, that's it. Communion with Rome. Full Commun- communion. Full communion with Rome. Therefore, you can have intercommunion. Yes. Go to a Byzantine Catholic church, receive Eucharist, go to confession. If you want to get married or have your kids baptized, that's a little more difficult. But go to confession, receive Eucharist, sacrament of the sick, as long as you're sick. Anyway, it gets complicated after that. But yes, go and receive Eucharist. Okay. Talk to the priest. Yeah. And we'll do a podcast at a later date on kind of like similarities, differences, also cool stuff, you know. But uh, today we're kind of beginning with a topic that's near and dear to Michael's heart. Yes. Um, which is? 
Well, which, take it away. Well, dining with sinners. Okay. This is uh, something I love doing. And so I have to keep myself in check because uh, this is one of those topics that anybody can find an excuse in the scriptures for what they like doing. If mm. you like hanging out with people that are, you know, what we might call sinners, non-Christian, non-Catholic, uh, you know, they're just personalities you like hanging out with, you're going to find justification in the scriptures for Jesus doing that. Right. You're going to make excuses for yourself. If you are socially awkward, you are not necessarily good at evangelization, you're going to find justification in the scriptures for not going out and immersing yourself in that world. Sure. Um, so I'm the type that I love going out into the world as part of my personality, meeting people that you know would be considered sinners, uh, spending time with those who are not trying to find Christ and trying to live a Christian life. So in preparation for this, I, I dug up scripture passages that would you could use either way. So okay. the ones I would use would be, for instance, Mark 2, uh, the call of Matthew, where Jesus calls Matthew from the publican's table, tax collector's table. Then he goes home and he has dinner with Matthew, with all of Matthew's sinner friends. Yeah. And the Pharisees, of course, jump on this. You know, he's dining with sinners. He's conversing with them. And, of course, Jesus defends himself. Uh, we see Jesus doing this. We see him not only you know, living in the bubble of, of his followers, but he goes out and he tries to draw people to himself. The The last line of in Mark 2, of course, is Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm-hmm. So in other words, he sees himself as a, as a physician of souls. I love that physician of souls and bodies. We say that in our divine liturgy, uh, a wonderful title for our Lord. Um, we also see though in the scriptures, we need to keep ourselves in check, of course. First uh, Corinthians, when we hear about Paul describing what would become excommunication when you need to separate someone from the community and and literally push them out in first Corinthians five. I'm going to skip around here, but uh, Paul says it's actually reported. There is immorality among you and a kind of that is not found among, even among pagans for a man is living with his father's wife. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus to drive out the wicked person from among you. Nobody so, has that tattoo. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no one's going to wear that and claim that. But yeah. you, you could use that as an excuse if you don't want to go after the person in your community who's struggling or you don't want to immerse yeah. yourself in people that disagree with you. You mm-hmm. know. But in 2 Corinthians, then Paul explains what happens after that. Of course, it's the second letter. He says, but if anybody who has caused pain or punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Most scholars would say that he's actually referring to this man, this man that was cast out of the of yeah. the community, etc. He was excommunicated, then welcomed back, forgiven and loved for that. And of course, that's the point of excommunication. That's the point of of separation from sinners is to call them forward. Hmm. So of course, the objective reality here is is, is how are you going to call people to Christ by your own example? I I've been absolutely struck by the fact that, you know, especially as a celibate, as, as a Byzantine Catholic priest, I could have been married and then gotten ordained as a married man. And that that option was completely open to me. And I knew that when I was discerning. But I felt called in the deepest part of my being to a life of celibacy, mm-hmm. to have that unique, exclusive and intimate relationship with only with, with God. 
with Christ and the church. So th- there's that reality that there's a need for community. I mean, of course, we as companions understand this very, very well. Um, but with, within this need for community, that's what helps me understand the reality of when I am out seeking as a celibate, I'm trying to get rid of loneliness. I'm trying to, to fight off whatever this is to seek out community. True community is in the communion of the Eucharist. So those that I share the Eucharist with, those who I'm communing with with the Eucharist, I am in a union with them in the body of Christ that is deeper than any other union, any human experiences. And it's a call on the descendant to say, I want to be in union with everybody. I mean, I want communion with people. Again, certainly since this is my personality, I, I walk into a coffee shop or a pub and I'm like, you know, friends everywhere. You yeah. know, I love all these people. <laughs> and, and, and saying that, yes, I can have a certain communion with them. But if we were receiving the Eucharist together, if we were part of the body of Christ together, then that union would be real. And it wouldn't be just something I desire, but it would be something I could actually meditate upon. I have real communion with these people, even if I'm not able to live in community with them, if I'm not able to spend all my time with them like I might like. The communion of the Eucharist allows a real existential, true communion within the body of Christ. So that leads to evangelization. I want to go out to my friends and acquaintances who are not in communion with the church. Mm. And I absolutely want to draw them in, in a very emotional and personal way. I want to draw them into communion with the church because then that means I can have a, a communion with them that is the only real and fulfilling communion, especially for someone who's a celibate and does not have those exclusive intimate relationships with, with a wife, with children, et cetera. Yeah, yeah that reminds me of two things. One, uh, I've just been plowing my way through the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, yep. which I highly recommend. If you haven't seen the extended edition, you've only seen approximately 60% of the full story because I looked at The Return of the King and it's five and a half hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. It's like they just put on all the deleted scenes. and um, But it has a, has a richer storyline, I feel like. Um, but nobody would pay to go see a five and a half hour movie. Anyways... Um, but there's that scene in the first Lord of the Rings, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, where they go into the, uh, what's it called? The Prancing Pony. Mm. They go into the Prancing Pony and they're supposed to meet Gandalf there. And, uh, Frodo kind of looks around and you're saying, well, I go into this bar and like, I look at all these people and I'm like, oh, friends, there's people and everything, which is the attitude of, I think Peregrine took. Who's the one that's like, you know, drinking the pints and dance on the table, dance on the table and like getting to know people. And like eventually he reveals Frodo and he's just like, oh, yeah, Frodo Baggins, he's right over there. But then if you watch like Frodo's like freaking out and like looking around and everybody's just kind of like has the sickly look about them and drinking and, you know, it's like all creepy. That's usually the way I feel whenever I walk into a bar. I'm just like, I don't trust any of you. One of you is going to knife me. One of you might try to come on to me. Um, I think I'm just gonna like stay over here on the corner. So um, that's two de- very different, um, very different perspectives on like engaging with people. But the desire that you have for communion isn't just a false communion, which is I want to welcome everyone into my church and make sure that they feel welcome. And the highest expression that some people feel like in terms of um, feeling welcome is intercommunion. Like, yeah. actually receiving communion at your church. And yet, like, as Catholics, whether Byzantine or Roman, we have to make kind of a statement, which is, like, if you're not a Catholic in full standing with the church, we can't extend to you this sign, uh, which is actually a reality of true communion. 
if we're not in true communion. Um, so, like, it's not just about, like, welcoming everybody, you know, because Protestants have the ability to do that, which is really nice, because they're just like, oh, yeah, come to my church, you'll feel totally welcome, and whatever. And, like, Catholics, in some ways, like, we can do that, but then also, like, there is the sense in which uh, I'm not totally welcome. Yeah. Um, I'm not totally in communion, so... It has to be real. I mean, we're not going to fake our way through communion, and it, it's we're not going to have communion for communion's sake. Yeah. Uh, the only reason why I can desire union with somebody else is not because somehow I can decide to have that union, but we're only united because we're in the body of Christ. Yeah. I mean, you know, Father Nathan and I, that we, we don't, we're not priests independent of Christ. We are priests of Christ. Yeah. We're only priests because we're in Christ's priesthood. So we need to participate in him to have that union. And so we don't want to just say, oh, we're going to pretend to be in union. Like I, I vent all the time, you know, people, they watch TV shows that are about community and about friendship. And they somehow think by observing it on TV that they're participating in it. And that, that's, yeah. that's a smoke and mirrors. We feel like we are by watching it happen, but that can distract us from actual communion. And that actually makes me think of something I was going to say about the, the pitfalls, because there are certainly benefits and I'm going to get to those in a couple in a minute, but there's also pitfalls with, with, with being someone who immerses yourself in a community, a certain community, a friendship with people who are not, don't have the same goals in Christ, that, are, mm-hmm. that aren't pursuing that real communion, but don't even know that that exists. Um, in C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters, in, uh, in letter number 10, it's, it's, it was so incredibly, I, I let it condemn me for what I was doing because it was so true. And, and so, Screwtape is writing to Wormwood. You know, this is a satire, right? Sure. Letters from devils to devils. Um, and so Screwtape is a mentor for the devil, Wormwood, who has a, quote, patient that he's trying to lead into damnation. And so th- this patient begins to have new friendships. And the Screwtape loves these new friends because they are they're secular and they're playing on all of, the, all of Wormwood's patient's vanities. And so pretty much he says, you know, let your patient get so caught up in the community of it that his vanity is supported. His, his Everything that is a sin in him is supported. And then it concludes by saying, you know, of course, the enemy who is God. He says the enemy is going to try to allow him to form good community and to draw these people into his own understanding of who Christ is. Don't let him do that. And he says one of the ways of doing that is convince him in his vanity that when he's out, say, on a Saturday night partying, he, he judges the people he's parting with and says, you know what, tomorrow morning I'm going to be in church and, and I, am, I can kind of dabble in this without letting yeah. it overcome me because these people, they've immersed themselves in it fully. They're not going to be in church on Sunday morning, but I am. So he judges the people he's parting with on Saturday mm-hmm. night for not being able to go to church. Then on Sunday morning, he's kneeling in church and he's judging of the people around him saying, none of these people are cool enough to be partying. You right. know, here I am in church and I can live in both worlds, but he's not living in both worlds he's judging in both worlds and and the devil loves this he's like he's he's judging everybody he's living Mm -hmm. this double life and he's not immersed in community with either one he's Mm -hmm. just judging them both and it it supports his vanity and that's of course one of the things that we would always need to be careful with is that we're somehow arrogant about the fact that we can we can live in a world and and spend time with sinners without being caught up or, or falling into the same sin that they are um and the devil loves that he just he he finds that to be so joyful that we're we're literally leading ourselves to damnation and and he's just kind of laughing laughing at us the whole way hmm. you know the same thing that's why if we do have friendships and acquaintances with what you might call sinners people that are that are not seeking Christ 
If we do, we need to have a foundationary community outside of that. That cannot be our sole community or we will get caught up in it because there has to be vulnerability. You guys talk about this all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And the companions and the friendships, there has to be vulnerability and you cannot be 100% vulnerable like we need to be. It's built into us to be 100% vulnerable with certain people in community. You cannot be that with people that are not, that are not founded on the reality of Christ, the creator, and what that means. And so you, as long as those foundations are there, you can then move on. Well, I mean, there's the classic maxim of, you know, how do you save someone from drowning? You know, um, uh, you can either like stay off to the side um, and like, you know, yell for help and have somebody else come in, which is, you know, important, especially if you don't feel like you're strong enough to kind of get them out. You can stay off to the side and get one of those long poles or throw them like, you know, a a life preserver or something like that. They can grab onto that and then you can pull them in or you can jump in and save them. Okay. Many people think, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump in and save them. But one of the worst things that you can do is grab onto a person who's drowning um, because they're going to grab onto you and pull you down with them if you're not strong enough or kind of trained enough. Uh, and there are people who are lifeguards. There are people who are kind of like, you know, super, super swimmers and they can do it. But um, in certain situations, it's like, well, that's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, he also still had the beatific vision. Right. You know, he also still had a connection with God. Um, and he is God. Um, so be very careful in putting yourself into a situation. It doesn't mean that, like, you should just kind of dangle a life preserver and just kind of say, oh, well, maybe this will help if you want it, whatever. There should be a, a sincere desire to pull this person out. But if you're not on stable ground, what are you pulling them into, you know? Right. It, it is absolutely a vocation. You have to be called to do this, given the ability to do it, and then called by God to do it. You know, in that same vein, I remember when I was younger, um, and watching living, Baywatch. Watching, yeah. <laughs> that was my community when I was a kid. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I, I would come home, and, and when I was still at home, my mom would do my laundry. And I walked into the garage one time, and she was like holding up one of my shirts with this like horrified look on her face. And I'm like, oh, shoot. And so she says, she turns around and sees me, and she's like, Michael, all your shirts smell like pot. And she's like, I know you're not doing it. And I wasn't. Never tried this stuff, and you know, never will. But she's like, are you hanging out with people that smoke pot? And I said, well, yeah, mom. And I, I made this kind of messianic, pietistic. That's right. Oh, mom, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the good guy, right? I'm trying to draw them out of this. And, and she said something very wise. She said, you know, if somebody from that community wants to leave that community, are they going to go to you who's immersed in the community, even though you don't use this stuff? Or are they going to try to find someone that's outside of the community to get as far away from it as possible? Hmm. And that was like, you know what, mom? You were complete. I didn't say this at the time. Of course, I wasn't about to admit it. But you know, th- there was wisdom there. You know, yeah. th- there's a certain amount that you can be inside the community to to build those friendships. But you need to be far enough out of it where where you can pull them out and then separate them enough from the community where they'll be healthy after the spirit works in their heart to draw them out. Yeah, but God. it's helpful. <clears throat> they have to find somebody who who knows Christ. And if there's other people in that community that have a vague knowledge of Christ, that's not really going to help them. So then, I mean, you're probably going to get to this, but then how do you deal with how do you deal with so many people who are kind of immersed in communities that are they're not formed around virtuous friendships, they're not formed around the love of God and neighbor. Um, they're just kind of doing their own thing, but then all of a sudden, like you become part of that community or affiliated with that community. 
um, how do you draw them without being sort of self-righteous and kind of, um, I'm their savior or something? Yeah. You have to make a desire for holiness look good. You have to make mm. it look joyful. Um, Dang it. You know, I know. It's hard because it, we're not always joyful about it. But, but you know, there is the truth that people will be attracted to that. And since we're all created in the image and likeness of God, there's something in every single human being that is attracted to that. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was, I was like 20 years old. I was hanging out with all kids that were 21 or older. I was in the service industry waiting tables. And we'd go out. And one night, it was probably 11 o'clock midnight. And we're driving from bar to bar. And since I was only 20, we needed to go somewhere where they weren't checking IDs at the door. Like I wasn't going to drink because I was underage, but we at least had to get in to hang out. And we went to like three or four different places. And all these places had balances at the door where they wouldn't let you in if you were under 21. So I started feeling really inadequate and like I was holding my friends back. And finally I said, guys, just drop me off. Like I'm going to walk home. You go in, you have fun, like leave me alone. And I was so insecure about those friendships and just kind of like down on myself that all of a sudden the the girl in the front started handing out cigarettes. And back then I'd, I'd never smoked a cigarette in my life and I, I never planned on it. And I was like the one guy in the group that didn't smoke anything, didn't do anything wrong. And one of my friends there, the guy sitting in the passenger seat, he did everything. I mean, he as many drugs as you could do, just totally hedonist to the max. And so she hands a cigarette back to me as a joke, knowing that I'm not going to take it. But I was so down on myself and so wanted to be part of the community yeah. that just smoking a cigarette would have made me feel like part of the community in a negative way. So I hesitated just long enough before flicking it out or whatever I would have done that my friend in the passenger seat goes, Mike, if you take that cigarette, I'm going to kick your butt. I mean, he, he was he would have been so even though he did everything, yeah. he would have been he wanted a purity. He wanted to know that it was possible. Yeah. He wanted someone in the group to be holding out from all this stuff. And I was about to fall. I was about to fail. And he just needed that. So he was going to stop me before I did because he wanted to see purity. He was attracted to that. And there was something there was something so right about that. And I thought, you know what? Our Lord is working through this. You know, mm-hmm. th- there, there's a, a purity that I'm now inspired to keep for his sake. Like it actually helps the community by me being a witness to this as much as I can, as much as God has given me the ability mm-hmm. to do. Well, it's interesting too to like, you know, just even imagine the cast of characters in the in the apost- in the apostles, you yeah. know. You have like Saint Matthew, Greed, um, Saint well, Saint Jude. I don't know anything about him, but maybe he was like, you know, maybe he picked his nose or something. Maybe he was dirty. (laughs) It was really annoying. He was gluttonous and fat. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) But then St. Peter, just like this angry, possibly like, you know, drunkard. Uh, We don't know anything about his life. Yeah. Um, And then you have like John the Beloved, who seemingly didn't get involved in any of that. Um, Maybe he's effeminate. Maybe he's kind of, you know, kind (laughs) of a wuss. Um, Jesus loved him most, though, so that was that's enough right. to get the other ones angry. Yeah. But then even, like, outside the band, then you all of a sudden you have, like, you know, Martha and Mary, and then all of a sudden St. Mary Magdalene, and yeah. then the Blessed Mother. So it's just like, how do you have community where there's, like, sin, and even, like, continuing sin? It's not like they it's not like they stopped sinning just because Jesus was around. Right. Um, but then somehow, like, it, Jesus was able to draw out from them um, not just a better version of themselves, um, or like uh, the elimination of sin, but rather the, like they become they become saints, they become holy ones because they participate in something greater than just like you know uh, a cessation of bad things. Yeah, they were given the opportunity to to love when it was hard. I mean, you, you, within the communion, you have Simon the Zealot 
who was obviously mm. a very yeah. zealous Jew that, that believed in the purity of Judaism. Then you had Matthew, who was a trader and a tax collector. I mean, these two men, especially Simon the Zealot, would have not allowed would not have liked Matthew at all just by the principle of it. Yeah. And yet they were given the opportunity to to love when it was hard. And that's the thing here is that you kind of have to do what's hard. When I was a seminarian, I this this priest, you know, shot out and 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 prayed for and pray to Father Robert Stanion, one of the founders of the CFRs who was in Albuquerque mm-hmm. when I was growing yeah. up. Wonderful, wonderful man. And I was kind of this zealous young seminarian and I he always wore his habit. And I said, you know, Father, do I do I wear my habit when I get ordained all the time? And, you know, or, or do I take it off every once in a while? I, I I wanted his input on it. And he goes, you know what? If you wake up saying, I want to wear my clerics today, like I want to look like a priest, don't. And if you wake up saying, I don't want to look like a priest, I just want some time off. Mm. He said, wear them. It was like the, the opportunity for for virtue and for growth in, in when it is hard. I mean, that's what parents teach their kids, right? You you, you put them in situations where where love and character is hard and you you overcome those obstacles. You know, that's why I think that that it is for those of us that like going out and, and immersing ourselves and feeling like we're missionaries, feeling like we're evangelists, feeling like we're kind of the odd man out in a unique situation, you know, that can be really deadly, you know, especially if we think we're good at it. If we don't rely on Christ for everything, we need to kind of go outside of ourselves and say, you know, sometimes I need to separate myself from those communities and let God work. You know, he's a better evangelist than I am. I'm going to kind of tag team him, you know, let, let him go in there and I'm going to take a, take a day off or whatever. And if you find those things awkward and uncomfortable, then if you go into them and you, and you know, God is working, you know, it's not you. You're like saying, Hey, that was successful. And this is something I'm not good at. So therefore it must've been God who was working. And so, you know, in conclusion, if you nice, <laughs> well, I don't know how we are on time. I know that's an issue. We're always somewhere in between five minutes and an hour and a half. <laughs> who knows and who cares, right? Amen. Um, so in other words, if you, if you find that, that evangelization to those who you disagree with is hard, you know, pray and then just rush out awkwardly into the situation. You know, just even if you make a complete fool of yourself, God is there working. And if you make a fool of yourself and people still grow closer to Christ, then it's even more obvious that God is working. If you find that this is something you're good at and you like doing, make sure before you do it, you say, Lord, I cannot do this without you. Mm-hmm. Like we we get so arrogant about these things sometimes. Lord, I cannot do this without you. I know that sometimes because I, I don't have an office and I do my work in coffee shops and pubs, like sometimes I'm the only religious person or the priest, the, the priest, because I wear my clerics all the time, but so that, that they would, people would see. And it's just kind of obvious. So I've gotten more people walk up and say, you know, my, my grandfather just died. You know, can you do a funeral? And I'm like, are you Catholic? No. Was he Catholic? No. Okay, well, then we're going to do a prayer service. I'll go to your house. We'll all pray together and do some memorial service. And th- there's an opportunity there for Christ just because I'm the only person they see. It's the same thing. You know, someone's depressed. You know, they, they get free counseling because there's this priest that sits two tables away from them in the coffee shop. You know, another opportunity for Christ. And so those things, if you're good at that, you can get really arrogant about it. And that's when the devil wins. And so being able to say, look, I'm going, I have to tell myself, I'm going to the coffee shop. I'm going to the pub. I'm going to work. I love being an example. I love being that beacon just by the way I dress of Christ in the world. So I have to go humbly and say, Lord, I cannot do this without you. If I mm-hmm. try to do this without you, I'm going to utterly fail. And I know that. I mean, Jesus says in the scriptures, without me, you can do nothing. Like I know that. And so if I go out humbly, then the Lord can actually work. So humility, either way, awkward confidence yeah. that is based on Christ, either way, go do it and let our Lord work. Yeah, that's great. The um, the other thing that I was thinking of, too, because, I mean, 
it's not just like religious or nuns or sisters or priests that are out there in the coffee shops, pubs, workplaces, you know, CH2M Hill, uh, whatever, Charles Schwab or something like that. Like you are the, most of the people that listen to this podcast are, you know, regular Catholics, you know, like baptized Catholics, married Catholics, like um, even single Catholics. But um, so like people know who you are and yeah, like you go watch the Hawks game, you go watch, you know, like some, you know, Downton Abbey finale or something like that. And like people are realizing like, oh, yeah, they like the same things. But then all of a sudden they find out you're a Christian or a Catholic and that can certainly color their perspective. But also like you're in. You're already in, yeah. like you're God's, you know, espionage squad. Um, but like, you don't need to be like uh, a sniper and just say, "I'm going to go after all these people without them even knowing it," and then I'm going to get them in a one shot deal. It's like that's never going to work like that. Like, you just build relations slowly. Sometimes, like, they're going to make you know crass comments about their, frankly, their sex lives or their love lives yeah. or their you know like debaucherous lives, and it doesn't have to be like you know, totally scandalized, like, don't tell me that, whatever. You got to have boundaries. You got to have people that are just like, uh, that's harassment. I don't want to hear it again. Um, but sometimes it's like, it may not be the first time. It may not be the 15th time, but you run into enough people, whether at the bar or at the coffee shop or um, at your work, and somehow, like, God's going to provide. So one thing you can do is just say, Lord, I'm open to those conversations if they come. Um if you pray that prayer, watch out though, because they'll start yeah. coming. Then you're like, okay, stop, enough. That's good. Yeah, and and anybody that me, we wear a cross around your neck. You have an icon on your desk. You sure. just tell people you're Christian. Oh yeah, the duck or the loon, the loon, <laughs> <laughs> the duck. <laughs> yeah, it is loon. Amen. See, that sounds different. Yeah, it when, does when I've listened to it. It yeah, sounds different in person. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So you wear the cross, you have an icon, people right. are going to see it. And and our Lord is going to work through there. But you have to be humble. One thing, we we cannot go into these situations thinking that we're the Messiah. You said this earlier, right? Yeah. If we go in, that arrogance is going to get in the way. So one of the things I found is that, you know, count your blessings. That sounds corny, but like w- reflect upon what you get from those people too. Yeah. Like God is in them and they're teaching us as well. You know, yeah. we we... we we're trying to offer Christ to them through through being the instrument of God, but at the same time, we have to say this is not a minister and ministry relationship. Like yeah. the, there, this is a human being who I'm called to be united with, and if I can, you know, kind of reflect upon the the ways that they show Christ to me, even if they're not trying to, you know, the way that the truth is in them, and and, and you know, God is in their heart, et cetera, in whatever degree He is, and they've let that happen, you know, we can learn from them too, and that 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 then prevents the the arrogance of saying I'm the Messiah and you know I'm the savior and you're the saved which right. just leads us down a horrible wrong bad path. On that note, <laughs> okay. Uh I think that's good. Well done for your first time. Thank you. The uh you can listen uh to a lot of firsts uh Father Mike Rap and Father John like one of their first episodes just I think theirs was only like 7 minutes. Uh <laughs> this one's around uh, a little over 20. Virtuous suckers. Um, and then uh, Doman had a, had his first, and then I had my first, and now Father Michael Olo uh, Flolo uh, has his first. So well done. I'm honored. There Thank you go. You. Um, I'm still shaking. I'm still nervous. Yeah, I'll get over it. That's just the coffee. Yeah. Um, okay, so at this point we do shout outs. John usually had the shout outs on his phone. 
Um, I don't have any shout outs because um, I exhausted all of mine on my phone. So you got any? Save your screen cover. Uh, I want to shout out to my my brother Joseph and his wife Seska. Yeah. Joseph and Seska O'Loughlin, first baby in the womb. What? Yes, we are incredibly excited. And there's pictures of on Facebook of the little man or little woman. I'm hoping for a boy because I want my name Michael. Well, Michelangelo. If you are sitting in that seat, you do have certain powers. John That's has already had his had his first nephew named after him, so yeah, we'll so see. Shout out to Joseph and Sesco Lachlan. Love them both dearly, and I cannot wait to see them in a few weeks and come back from Spain. Nice, getting his master's degree, and uh, hug them both and bless the little baby. All right. Um, okay, and then the next thing. All right. Uh, Father John was really good at email, and I am not. Frankly, I hate this technological means of communicating. So if you do send a ca- an email to catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com, uh, just know that it might be answered within the next calendar year. Um, other than that, I think we're good. Catholic Stuff uh, Podcast and like us on Facebook. Uh, we'll see you next week. Later. Laters. <laughs>